Oh, yeah. We are live. We are in person. Usually, we don't get to see each other during the week, but it's a little different. Today, we're in the confines of Manhattan Beach near the ocean. It's a beautiful day. I'm Yogi Roth, Ted Robinson, Michael Molinari, Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. Coming to you heading into week 10, fellas. So before we get started on our downs. You've had your cold brew already? I already had the cold I've brew. I've had my hot brew. By the way, Michael, at 8.30 in the morning, I don't know. I'm not so sure about this view. Okay, <laughs> I just want to make sure. That's why I like doing the phoners. <laughs> That's right. So I'm just curious. You know, we're, ten, we're heading into week 10 here. Most enjoyable moment of the year for you guys has been what? Wow. That's a good one. Most enjoyable moment. I mean, we look, we've been very lucky with our crew. We've had mostly good games. We've had surprising games. I think getting, having a chance to see Washington a couple of times up front and see firsthand what Chris Peterson does and how that program is running. Yes, they haven't had the results this year that they've had the past few, but also understand the bar is very high. And that's a credit to Chris Peterson. To see that up close, to see for the first time for me, Herm Edwards up close and to have four weeks of Arizona State football and to see the program and to watch what the assistant coaches are doing and to see the Marvin Lewis and Kevin Mawai. We didn't even talk about that. I went up to Kevin Mawai on the field at UCLA to congratulate him on his uh, Hall of Fame ring. I said, I can't believe you can lift your hand. That thing, you should need a crane to pick up his hand with that rock on his finger. That's been, that's been very cool to me to see this up close. And then most recently, Saturday night, to watch UCLA when we were here at the beginning of the year and they were buried and dead, right? Everybody in Southern California buried them. They're alive. Shockingly, yes, but they're very alive. They looked legit on Saturday. As a producer, I'm going to listen to the question. You said moment. So Jaden yeah. Daniels, helicopter into the end zone uh, versus Washington State, home team winning in the last moments. That's always what you want. But that to me was the moment so far of our season. Oh, that's good. Those are both really good. I think for me, my favorite moment of the season was probably when we started it because this is a different year for me. I got engaged, got married in the last year, and you called me out right on the open of the season. Mm -hmm. And I can remember, even as the year has gone on and as anybody who's broadcast, you screw things up in three and a half hours. I've screwed up names, mispronunciations, and you kill yourself, you beat yourself up for it. But that reminder of like, hey man, you got like a wife, you got a kid, like take a breath, move on to the next snap, Amen. has been great for me, especially somebody I pride myself on not screwing up so often. Um, so that has been, that's been a different feeling for me this year. And I, I credit you for that, yeah. Ted. So you know, I work a lot in tennis also. And that's the quality I hear most about Roger Federer from other players is his complete amnesia. I mean, he can, he can lose a, a brutal match like he did in the final at Wimbledon this year or, or just have a mistake during a match, and that he is, his immediate ability to move beyond that is what separates him from everyone else. So there's your, there's your model, Yogi. I love that. So just to kind of go on a tangent, uh, I was 21 years old. I moved to Australia, went to the Australian mm -hmm. Open, uh, took a friend, and Roger Federer, as you know, Ted, he, when he wins, he throws his wristband into the stands. I had no clue. Snagged it. One hand. <laughs> nice. Kind of like uh, toe drag? Brand, Brandon Ayuk with, style. With a, with a toe drag? <laughs> yes, seriously. Did it go to review? Did it go to review? Yeah, and nobody got it. I, the individual I was with, she was like, can I get that? And I was like, nah, this relationship isn't going anywhere. I'm going to keep this one for myself. Uh, all right, so let's get to uh, our four downs. For those of you joining the podcast, we appreciate your support. Subscribe, rate, review, all those good things. Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, this thing's going to keep going here. But down number one, we go to four downs, and then Michael brings us the humanity moment of the week. We got to talk Oregon and Utah. I mean, we're talking about 
for whatever it's worth, which isn't much, but the AP, Oregon number seven, Utah number nine, most importantly ahead of one loss Oklahoma. So you'd say, if you just looked at that, one loss Pac-12 champ would beat a one loss Big 12 champ when you see the Big 12 standings, not a lot of talented teams this year, at least highly ranked. So let's talk about this game. They're they're kind of rooting for each other, aren't they? Well, sure. So what's uh, I'm going to beat my drum again. What separates Oregon and Utah this year from everybody else in the conference? Defense. Yeah. Yeah. Defense. What separates Oregon and Utah from the entire Big (laughs) Twelve? Defense. Yeah. And you never. It's it's what Washington has done the last few years. They're they've slipped a little bit there this year, but it's Oregon and Utah. They're playing defense at a whole different. Now, give Washington State credit. They they've racked up a bunch of points, right? They're the first team to really do that to Oregon. But that's it. That's defense. And so that's going to be, to me, the fascinating part of watching Oregon go to the Collie, as Yogi calls it. See, yes. I picked that up, Michael. <laughs> but it's to see, okay, Oregon's defense going on that big stage and USC with a freshman quarterback, right, Who's who has already done some nice things on the road, who wobbled through his game in Boulder, but Whoa. in the fourth quarter dialed it up, right? Yeah. In the fourth quarter takes him down the field twice to win the game. That was pretty impressive. I'm going to do a little math. Okay. You mentioned the poll. There's five undefeated teams in front of Oregon and Utah. Two pairs of those are going to play. So there's only going to be three no-loss teams in front of our one-loss team. So win out, get to the championship. It's going to be hard to argue that the Utah unde- or one-loss Utah, one-loss Oregon doesn't deserve to be in the playoff. I think it's that simple. Yeah, I'm going to totally beat the drum on that. So here we go this weekend. Everybody's going to talk about Oregon SC, including us here in a minute. But it's kind of like the forgotten defending champs here at Washington. They're hosting Utah. This is the game we all circled in August on our calendar as thinking this would be obviously a repeat of the Pac-12 title. You go back in history, these games are great. It's Dante Pettis' return game. It's Kyle Whittingham clock management a couple years ago in Seattle. You know, that was a tight one at the end. You didn't think Jake Browning would lead him on a comeback. What do you guys think about this game? And would you be, I don't think any of us would be shocked if if Washington won, right? No, well, no, look, Utah has two hurdles in its Pac-12 history, right? USC and Washington. Those are the two places, the two schools they've had trouble with. So that's big. I keep going back to the title game. You were there, Yogi. I I was watching somewhere, I forget, on on a TV in some restaurant, and it was 10 to 3, right? And the people I was with in another part of the country were kind of falling asleep. And I'm sitting there thinking, as we all do out here, well, if this was the SEC, if this was uh, Auburn against LSU, you'd be raving about the defense, right? Well, last year, those were the two best defenses in the conference. This year, Oregon and Utah are the two best. But my point is, Utah's going to go in there, and they know what they're going to see. They're going to see still big line play, physical play. And the challenge to me is Washington is severely missing Ben Burkerman. It's the things we talked about when we went there early in the year twice, right? How do you replace those inside backers? And they had some players who'd been there for a while that were hoping to get their one chance to play. Teams have run on them. It's just the numbers are, are, are you can't argue the numbers against them. So can they stop Zach Moss, right? Can they slow down a big physical Utah line in Zach Moss? Here's a stat I saw this morning. Utah's first ever shutout in Pac-12 play against Cal last week. That's pretty, that was startling to me. I thought they must have had one before last week, but first shutout ever for Utah in the Pac-12 conference. I think you get a rematch of the championship game last year. It's going to be a defensive battle, but I think this year Utah's offense has the edge over Washington's defense, which, as Ted was saying, probably not as good as they were last season. I think Utah wins up in Seattle in a low-scoring game. 
Wow. Yeah. Talk, talk about their defense. They've allowed 10 points, Utah, in the last 14 quarters. And one of them was a late touchdown in the Oregon State game. I mean, they're playing lights out. We got to, again, credit Zach Moss. Breaks two more records as a running back at Utah. But the reality is Tyler Huntley, he sat out the second half. I'm excited. I mean, obviously, they did it to, to make sure that he can be at his best. But here's a Washington team. They finally got a break. And you know what it's like. You get a breather just to reset a little bit or get mm-hmm. away from the game for a minute. So, so much pressure on the quarterback thing. And it kind of hasn't stopped with Jacob Eason. All, you know, he, he played extremely well in their most recent loss in the Oregon game. So, I'm, I'm really curious to see if Utah over tries, like I thought they did against USC, or if they just go out and play their game. And, and that'll be the biggest thing that I'll be looking at on Saturday. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I look at this all the time and talk about quarterbacks, right? How do you do in fourth quarters? As I just referenced with slow, as we talked about it early in the year with Justin Herbert, he had a great fourth quarter in the game at Washington. That was huge for Oregon. Sometimes there's a team moment too. And I think this is one of those for Utah because they've climbed the mountain with a excellent program, but they couldn't get over the hurdle of just winning the South. They did last year. And then they ran into Washington and they couldn't get past Mount Washington. Well, now this is their time. They've, they, they couldn't beat USC, if they don't win this game, they're not going to win the South in all likelihood, right? I mean, that's really what this comes down to for Utah, which we all think they should be. The polls would indicate they should be in the championship game, but we understand the fact that USC still has the tiebreaker edge. It puts puts a tough spot on Utah if they lose this game unless Oregon obviously helps them, right? It, it It just, they just start running out of time when you're behind in the tiebreaker. Yeah, and who would have thought Washington, if they lose, would lose three at home this year? Oh, I know. I mean, that, that to me is what's amazing. But that place is hard to play. Rice Eccles is hard. Autzen is hard. UW's hard. I mean, it's more people than both of those, number one. They're crazed fans. This one's going to be electric. And it feels like Championship Saturday because it is, you know, in terms of what you just referenced. So. And I'm going to tell you, I, so, okay, can I borrow a Yogi phrase here? Can we nerd out for a moment? <laughs> so I go back and I'm watching, we didn't talk about this last week, but I'm watching the Washington-Oregon game. And how does this game flip? Washington's in command yep. in the third quarter on their field. We know how hard a place that is to play. How do they not win the game? And there were at least three short yardage plays on offense for Washington in the late third into the fourth quarter where they don't block. And skill position players that didn't block. And they don't make the short yardage plays they're supposed to. That you think Washington is going to make. And it's why when sometimes we'll harp about, I'm big on running back pass protection, right? It just Or how to tight ends block to wide receivers. You're, you're the no block, no rock guy, right? right. I mean, yeah. So I'm just saying those small, another phrase. Right, yeah. those small things, to me, that's cost Washington. When I watched the game back, a week later cost them dramatically and why they don't hold a 10-point lead on their home field. So those things Utah does well. Yeah, Those are things Kyle Whittingham has always had his teams do well. I think it's fair. They're the better team, what we've seen. They should just go out and operate. And I think they'll be able to slow down the passing game of Jacob Eason because they've got some gifted players in the back end. You saw Josh Nurse in the Cal game coming off at the corner. He's six foot four, so long, let alone Jalen Johnson and the rest of those guys. So I think they bring a lot of heat. They try to force Jacob Eason to get off his first read. If they could take away that first one, that's how you slow him down. So I like Utah on the road. We talked about championship games. How about Bradley and I against Trey Adams? Oh, it's going to be fun now. Right? It's going to be way different than Ladarius Henderson yeah. and Bradley and I. <laughs> that's going to be a good matchup to watch.
Yeah, that's that's gonna even Nick Harrison like you I mean, it, it, it's gonna be we're, you're gonna see their best. We're gonna see a great game. Best I think we're gonna best. see a. Cl- I hope a clean yes. game. Yeah. Um, okay, so now here in L.A., we got the Coliseum. You know, this is this championship football. Clay Helton's backs against the wall. The Trojans' backs against the wall. I went back last night late. Watch. Don't that we game. say that every week? Clay we Helton's do. back against the wall. We, we do. It seems to, <laughs> we do. It seems every week. I was I was amazed with that one. I the phrase I love, as you guys know, is pace plays after critical errors. Mm-hmm. And you go into the fourth quarter, they get the ball about six minutes left. USC, they got a score to win, tie or win, and it's Keen Slovis trying too hard. Ball gets on the turf. Very next play, delivers a rope to fifteen on a little seam route. Next play, balls on the turf, comes back on the touchdown. I mean, his ability to, to your point of Roger Federer earlier in this podcast, to just have, boop, all right, next play, not going to really worry about it. That, that was really impressive. He's going to have to do that in this game because Oregon's going to bring a, a ton of heat against this guy, I think. What do you, how do you see this game, Michael? I watched, I just watched uh, last night Herbert's the final drive last, Saturday. And when he was just ripping it and just, finding guys all the way down the field. He looked as confident as uh, any quarterback I've seen this year. Now, it's one little sample because, I, I, honestly, I didn't have time to watch the whole game where he pretty much was pedestrian. But it, when it mattered, Herbert was there. And I think, I think I'd rather have Justin Herbert than Keenan Slovis at this point in their careers when it comes down to a tight game, which I think it's going to be. I think we got to give, uh, and we're going to have Marcus Royo on Inside Pac-12 Football this week mm-hmm. on the Pac-12 Network as our offensive coordinator. Much like Clay Helton, if you're in that position at Oregon, offensive coordinator, the head coach at SC, you're going to get a ton of heat all the time. I was really impressed with how they just kept running the football. I mean, C.J. Verdell, this is a week after Cyrus Habibi Likio went off. Everybody's thinking he's the back. This guy goes for almost 300 yards. And this offensive line, like I just think that's going to be the difference. Christian Rector might come back. I don't think they're going to get Drake Jackson. I think Oregon just has the ability to own the line of scrimmage. So for SC to win, their dudes have to elevate, like they did against mm-hmm. Utah, like they did against Colorado. Michael Pittman, Amon Ra, Tyler literally, literally elevated on yeah. those. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I also tell you, Yogi's been telling me this. But we haven't seen Oregon in person this year, so I watched on the Oregon Washington tape and and it really jumped out to me. I focused a little bit, which is scary when you start focusing on offensive linemen. Panay Sewell, oh my gosh. Come on. That's the real deal. I mean the he has a year to go, right? But the the next year the NFL will live in Eugene. That's that's a big time prospect. In the way the fo- the way football's going now, as you know, with mobility, it's no longer road grade football for the offensive line. I mean, there probably are some exceptions, but for the most part, it's mobility. And this guy can move. Wow. He's a special player. Okay, so that's first down. We dove into the big game. Talked a little bit CFP. The first ranking is going to come out next week. So, By the way, I think all three of – we have this in common. All three of our alma maters are now – well, Syracuse is eliminated. Is that right, Michael? They're out. (laughs) Okay, so all three of our alma maters are now out of CFP. I I didn't necessarily want to bring that one up, but (laughs) – it's a good thing for the Pac-12 The Notre Dame went yes. down. Um, and Wisconsin was eliminated this week. Yes. That's another school that's out. Yeah. And Oklahoma's loss certainly elevates. So, yeah, I mean, look, the, the other reality we have is, you know, there's, it's just scheduling reality. Everybody can't play everybody. So Oregon and Utah don't play this year. Yeah. And that's why I think there's a lot of folks hoping that that's the game in Santa Clara for the championship game. And, of course, both with one loss. Because then you do have a really good argument to make if that's the case, the winner out of there with one loss. Okay, so let's go to Ted's favorite phrase here. Control your own destiny. 
<laughs> this is our second down. Oh, if you got the t-shirts on order, we'll have them by Friday. <laughs> yeah, him and Chip Kelly, if you listen to his post-game press conference. Yeah. Um, that being said, obviously, USC, if they win out. But you look at the Pac-12 South, fellas. UCLA. How is this even a thing? I mean, we're calling it again this weekend against Colorado. Three and two in conference. And there's a world where you say, they look pretty good knocking off a top 25 team against Arizona State last week, Ted. How do you, how do you see... You know, the teams that, quote-unquote, control at least their ability. UCLA does. Yeah. I mean, in theory, UCLA does. So, so look, two things to me that jumped out Saturday, and I touched a little bit on them before. One is UCLA's playing some defense now. They're not Oregon or Utah. Nobody's kidding anybody here at that level. But playing some defense, and that's important because their offense is clicking. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson the last two games has looked big time. His arm talent. I had noticed it before with the last two games, the arm talents there. Um, clearly, Chip Kelly, I, I, I'll share a story now since neither guy's coaching where they were anymore. Uh, Yogi and I called the uh, terrific game in Eugene how many years ago when Montez comes off the bench, Colorado wins, last play or basically last important play of the game, Oregon's at the two-yard line and they throw a ball and Witherspoon intercepts in the end zone for Colorado to win the game. The next day, I am in Seattle on the field before a San Francisco 49ers Seattle Seahawks game. And Chip Kelly is the coach of the 49ers. Of course, he and Mark Helfrich are very close. And he comes up to me and he knew I was there for the game. He goes, What'd you think yesterday? And I said, Oh, that was tough, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, Should have run the ball. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. So when I see the run, the damn ball hats that have been going around the end, I think of Chip. What did Chip do Saturday night? He ran the damn ball nearly 60 times almost. That was crazy. Yeah. That was out of control. Did you think, um, we'll get back to the office in a second, but we had Arizona State. So, Michael, you, we've been on this ASU train for a while now. Did you think UCLA would be able to hold Eno Benjamin to 46 yards Rushing after he gets 100 against Utah. He's the only guy in the last year and a half. He got twice against the Utah Utes defense. He's rushed for over 100. So curious what you thought about their defense, and did they, did they surprise you on Saturday night? Absolutely. I mean, you look at the film, you look at the numbers, and you're thinking this is – UCLA has no chance to stop them. Their best chance is to outscore them. But the final score was a bit not – it didn't really tell the story. UCLA controlled that game, and they controlled it defensively. There was not a moment after the first quarter where I honestly thought ASU was going to get back in this game. Never felt they were threatening to get back in the game. And to me, that's pretty, that was pretty amazing for a team, we saw, a team we've seen all year, UCLA, that just hasn't, hasn't delivered. But in the last few games, they definitely have. It's been a complete turnaround. So, all right, so back to the offense, Ted. Is there a world where you look at UT, or I, I look at UCLA, DTR, mm-hmm. this young offensive line, talented running back, and I'm like, is this Utah a couple years ago? In terms of the athletic quarterback, he utilizes legs. An offensive line that's really young, when you look at the left side, true freshman, right? True sophomore at right guard. I think it's Richard sophomore at right tackle. Is there anything where you see this thing kind of trending into a really physical program like the Utes? Yeah, that's good. That's a good question, Yogi. I, you know, I don't think about Chip Kelly football that way necessarily. We think about speed. Yeah. You were talking about it. I mean, with uh, Dimitri Felton, I mean, that's, that's Chip Kelly's mantra. And, and you can't have everybody that way. You can't have 10 track runners out there. You need some football players. But, he, you know, just think back in the obvious compare. We talked to Dimitri Felton about this Friday. The obvious comp is DeAnthony Thomas, right? That's 
clear hits you across the face, and that's the kind of players that Chip Kelly wants to have. So, yeah, you want to have offensive linemen, obviously, they're, that are good. And I was taken, I don't know how you were Saturday, that UCLA's O-line handled an ASU D-line that had held up very well the week before against Zach Moss. That, that was, if you ask me what would shock me the most, the fact that UCLA was, and that's why I keep harping on the number of run plays, because you can't run that number of running plays unless you're running the ball well, right? You can't get stuffed and run 60 times. The fact that they could hand the ball off almost 60 times means they were winning the vast majority of those fights up front. Yeah, it was really impressive to watch. To me, the, the, the O-line win, and you know, you, when you play against an athletic defensive front, you have the ability to crease them every once in a while because they're moving, so you want to utilize the movement of the D-line to your advantage. And every time you see Dorian Thompson Robinson, he'd clap at the line of scrimmage, then he'd look to the sideline. We don't see a ton of this anymore in college football. It was big time five, seven years ago. He'd look over, he'd get the play, and they would crease him. I mean, so to me, that's Chip saying, okay, I can kind of tell a little bit of what they're doing. And then the patience of Joshua Kelly. How many times did he just set up the backers a little bit with yeah. his eyes? And then, boom, cut back, and it would be a big gain. So, overall, really impressed. I can't wait this weekend. Line of the week, Michael wasn't there, so it can't qualify for Michael's humanity moment. But the line of the week was when I went down with Yogi to the, uh, to the set with Mike Gam and Nigel Burton after the game, and Chip came up. And he made a great comment on the set saying – about Josh Kelly he goes, you gotta love the guy. He bet on himself. Yeah. Great. And Chip's very good at the one sentence summaries. And that was really a great call on Joshua Kelly because he's a terrific kid that we've gotten to know. And he did. He bet on himself. He talked his way into UCLA with another coaching staff, by the way, and it still made it pay off. That was impressive. Okay. Speaking of paying off, uh, nobody really thinks that your third string quarterback can have to pay off heading into a season. That's happened a lot this year. So third down, I want to just talk quarterbacks here. So KJ Costello come back and absolutely rip it. So Grant Cannell trade off with Khalil Tate in the first half. Khalil's legs kind of were vintage mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Cal starts their third quarterback this year, Spencer Brash. What, what do you think of the quarterbacks just there this year in this conference? Well, it's, as you said, it, no one in college football in particular expects you're going to go three deep. It's insane. And with all the rule protections in place, I mean, the NFL, I can tell you, I lived through this last year until about week 12 I think there was only one starting quarterback that had been hurt last year in the NFL up until about week 12 that had been knocked out for the year. It was San Francisco's Garoppolo. And that's the, a lot of people credit all of the rule changes and the protections put in place for quarterbacks. The one injury we're seeing a lot of both Saturdays and Sundays for quarterbacks are collarbones right now. We saw it with Huntley last year with Utah. We saw it with Garbers. As soon as Garbers went down this year, I, right away, Herm Edwards talked about it. He said it was right in front of him. And you could tell right away. And that's pretty much... I know there's some Cal people buzzing about Garbers possibly coming back. Everything I've ever seen with collarbones, it's eight weeks, and that's a firm eight weeks. So that would say he's done for the year. Um, it's what gave Gardner Minshew his chance. Nick Foles, the first quarter of the season in Jacksonville, Nick Foles goes down collarbone, and Minshew comes in. So I don't know what the answer is to help, but, uh, to help minimize that injury, but that seems to be the epidemic right now. And there is, again, there's no... There's no shortcut. You can't come back in two weeks from a collarbone. You break that. I mean, I don't. Did you ever do it, by the way? No, thank never God. Did. Yeah, no, it's a receiver. Just AC that's joints. yeah, that's because you're falling on your shoulders a lot. That's a that's a good thing. But I've told pretty firmly by docs that's eight weeks. Okay, so I want to pick your brain, Michael. You're a producer, obviously. You've been around the game a lot. To me, when quarterbacks come, of course, you see their play on the field. But what did you notice about KJ coming back this week? Because because I saw the whole thing elevate. 
when we, we saw that. Stanford, you could argue it was at their worst against UCLA last Thursday Absolutely. in a while, offensive-wise. Completely different team. And not just because of the play on the field, but the confidence of having your guy back. I think that's what kind of radiates over the entire offense, obviously, but I would say the defense as well. Mm-hmm. Our guy, our guy's back. Now we, now we have a chance. And, it, you know, psychology in football is as much of – performance as anything else and I think you saw that with Stanford just a completely different team yeah so much so that now Arizona is going to be a completely different defense Marcel Yates is no longer there as the defensive coordinator we get to our fourth down I want to make sure we talk about the rest of the teams in this conference what do you what do you make of that Ted do they bring in a guy who's an absolute legend in Chuck Cecil yes. to call this defense and well, he's already there and he's an Arizona legend and no that's it well a couple things, and this is where I lean on Yogi. I've, I've always been perplexed about this with Arizona. As long as we've done, for example, the Pac-12 Network now in the eighth year. And I, I've been in the league long enough. I saw when Arizona did play defense. I saw the desert swarm. And, in fact, I said it to Sam Polis in the booth the other day. I said, Arizona needs to find a Larry Smith to me. They need to find somebody to come in there that can install a defensive mindset, what Justin Wilcox has done at Cal. That's what Arizona needs. But I continually look at when we see them, we saw them in Boulder this year, and they just look small. I mean, I, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but it's almost like you're watching the junior varsity on defense, size-wise, yeah. physically. And I don't know if that's been an intent for Arizona and its recruits or if it's just what happens. But to me, they, they just need, they need bigger players, bigger, more physical players. Yeah, you think back a couple of years ago, and when Rich Rod was there, they were running that three-three-five yeah. scheme, very similar to Arizona State now, and it was all about speed, athleticism. And now you look at their D line; some of the guys are younger, that are a little slighter. Their backers have been there three years now, but I don't know, Michael. When you're a producer and they change the coordinators, what's well, our, our second change this year in the Pac-12? Washington yeah. State as well. But I, I wanted to ask, go back with at you a question. It's so difficult to get the defense and the offense both playing incredibly well. Utah this year, and the first time ever, I think they've had both their offense and defense in the top 25. Then you look at a Cal team several years ago, offensive, uh, Sonny Dykes, crazy offensively, couldn't play like a defense. Now they're defensive stalwarts and having really trouble on offense. Why is it so difficult for a team to get it on both sides of the ball? It's a good question because you, you don't see it very often. To me, when you have a certain type of offense, you can go study teams in the Big 12 that run the air raid. That's why your boy Alex Grinch was so impressive. Most of the time when you're practicing, I'm referencing Ted because I, I know you love no, him. That, that's exactly right. And I'm with you. I, 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 I think he should have been. It it, there's a world where he's still in the Pac-12, you know, as a defensive coordinator of one of the big schools. And he goes to Ohio State last year. Now he's at Oklahoma. But my point is when you practice, to me, against the air raid all the time, most defenses aren't good, you know, because they're seeing different things. They're not allowed to be physical, such a generic term, but they're not allowed to play that style of defense where you need to. So you're practicing against it all the time. 15 practices in spring football, 29 in fall camp. And yes, you have your periods where you try to go nine on seven, you change it up, but your, your team is your team. Your identity is your identity, which is why Washington State was so impressive in that run for him. So I think now with the advent of the spread offenses, if you think about it, the top defenses UW, Utah, Oregon, they're downhill running teams, right? Even the jump, at least from one week to the other, UCLA, defensively, they're downhill running teams. So they have to deal with that all the time. And I think that's just a challenge because if I became a head coach tomorrow, I'd be spread. 
it's the quickest way to get to six wins. You know, right. so you screw your defense, whatever, man. Like, let's just get right. six wins, and that helps us in recruiting. So I think that's when we talk about the special teams, why defense isn't special. I think it's because of the mirrored side that they're seeing every day. That's fascinating. Again, as you're saying that, Yogi, the team that jumps into my mind is Stanford. And now, it again, hasn't been so much this year. But Stanford, for the bulk of the last decade, has huddled, <laughs> has come out with multiple tight ends, big players, guys wearing 97 all over the place, and run power, the old power, and we're just going to road grade you. Yeah. And defenses that are practicing against air raid, right, on their own campuses – they see Stanford, wait a minute, huddle, what's that? Guys under center, what are you talking about? What's that? Yeah. Well, athletes are, go ahead. Yeah. I just say, m- message to all coaches from TV producers, please huddle. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Seriously. <laughs> and he says that for our great director, Scott Barkey. That was your, your messenger for him, I know. Yes. Oh, all right. So we'll, we'll put a bow on that. Um, Oregon State, let's just give them some love. Because yeah. now they play Arizona. The pregame's going to be there. A ton of fanfare. New defensive coordinators. So sometimes we saw that with Washington State. He could breathe new life into this defense. But you can't change schemes overnight. Jake Luton's been dealing. He hasn't played his best. But they come off of a refresh week, a bye week. Right. What are you most looking forward to? And what have you been, Ted, I think most impressed with for, with Jonathan Smith and Oregon State? I mentioned this during our game Saturday, and I wasn't aware of I guess I hadn't focused on the stat until I was looking this past week, and Oregon State was leading the conference in red zone touchdowns, which is the number, not scores. It's touchdowns. That's wins games. And now UCLA had a great night Saturday, so I haven't seen this week's stats, but I assume UCLA's moved ahead of them. But that's awesome. I mean, that's a great comment about what Jonathan has done with the offense there and how Luton has played. Of course, they've got a big-time receiver, as we know. Um, and look, they're the only team left with any shot. Oregon has basically clinched the North except for the Beavs. The Beavs, because they play them in the Civil War, still have a pulse. They also are the only team in the conference that has to play all five November weeks. Everybody has a bye except Oregon State. They just had their second bye. So that's going to be a challenge for them when you get down to the last two weeks and especially the Civil War when they've had to run off five in a row. They, hey, great for them. And look, they they probably face the same challenge that Arizona's facing. And Colorado that we're going to see this week is the other team that just they have to find some way to play defense. I mean, Colorado has this crazy streak of giving up 30 straight points. When you talked about the, the Utah numbers on defense, and here's Colorado, I think it's 14 straight games, I believe, of 30 points given up. Can't win. I mean, they just have to find a way to the, – the qualifier I use that you use, Michael, is some. No one's asking to be the steel curtain defense, right, or the desert swarm. Just play some defense. And that's, again, to me, what UCLA, circling back to where we'll be this week, that's what UCLA's done the last two weeks. If they can keep that going in November, UCLA, play some defense. They have a shot. They control their own destiny. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How many times can you get it in? (laughs) Yeah, this weekend is going to be fun. We don't know the game plan yet, but I hope it's Darnay Holmes against LaVisca. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, my well, last. looked pretty good, didn't he? I mean, he looked healthy against USC. As I'm saying, just watching the tape. Yeah, that was good to see. Yeah, we got to play for the open. You're going to see. I already drew it up, Michael. Yeah, Get gearing was, up. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, head to our uh, final moment here, which has become a fan favorite: the humanity moment of the week. Michael Molinari, cue the music. Well, you already set me up, Darnay Holmes. I mean, we Friday had an amazing opportunity to sit down with him and. I would, I would describe it as being in the orbit of his positivity, to steal a yogi phrase, perhaps. Uh, just, it's well documented what he had been through in his family life and all the trials and tribulations, but moving it forward, 
getting to sit down with him, and I just remember a couple things we spoke about. One is, uh, for a moment, the portal came up, and the look he gave me of his thoughts of a guy who's been through so much adversity on what he thought about the portal. The look said it all, but I'll just say not a fan. And then the other thing I asked him is, are you a role model? Essentially, going back to Charles Barkley in 1993 with that commercial, I'm not a role model. Darnay Holmes embraces, wants to be, can't believe anyone wouldn't want to be a role model. And that's everything he does off the field is about the kids, the people that emulate him. And that was amazing to see. And then on the field, he performed well. And at the end, you guys were on your way down to the, the set. But Lewis Johnson caught up with him for a post-game interview. And he was just electric. And I think that what did the phrase he said? Lewis asked him, all the trials and tribulations, this team hung together. And he said, when things go wrong, you can either break down or you can set your mind to break records. And that's what we're doing. And it was great to see somebody who's been through so much come out of it so positive. That's awesome. You know, next week, we're going to have to do a, like a catch-up session on our humanity moments. I, I think it'd be fun just to rip through all 10 of them that you've had now, just to kind of see where we're at, because they've been, they've been pretty cool. It always gets me to sit back and get a little nostalgic. You know, and it's and it, uh, a shout-out to the staffs of all the schools in our conference and, and sports information folks. So they do a great job. They make it easy for us every Friday when we're on to bring the players around, and obviously guys that are comfortable talking and relaxed. It's really nice. It gives us... I just, in fact, I laughed because I was watching the USC Colorado tape. Boy, what an original thought. <laughs> they had the opera singer. Wow, I wonder how, who at ESPN was smart enough to come up with that idea. Oh, I didn't see the TV copy. Oh, yeah, no, oh. it was just really brilliant stuff. Did they act as though there was breaking news? Yeah, I, don't, Michael, I didn't see I don't it. I heard about it. My phone blew Michael, up. Where, where were we on that story? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, the ultimate form of flattery. Appreciate them subscribing to the Pac-12 <laughs> Networks and uh, stealing Molinari's incredible work. Um, okay, so this is the one time this week that I got to buck the trend. Usually, all I hear is more Molinari. But since Ted Robinson made his premiere on the post-game show on the Pac-12 Networks on set in front of the Rose Bowl, <laughs> it's more Ted. I got Ashley Adamson, Mike Yam, Adam Stay. I got people texting me saying, can we get Ted on more? When am I getting on the post-game show? That's, that's the that, question. That's next. Okay. That's next. <laughs> well, as a, to honor my dear friend, the late Bill Campbell, for whom the Campbell Trophy is named, his favorite establishment in downtown Palo Alto, the old pro was allowed to sit at the desk. Thank you, Yogi, for letting the old pro sit in there. Oh, man, we, we want more, and that's going to happen. I, I, I promise the good part for you and Yam is if I do come on, I don't hog the hair product, okay? <laughs> There's plenty left for you guys, all right? No comment from me. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, I love you guys. This is great. Thank you for subscribing, rating, reviewing, of course, listening. All the show notes have our social media handles. Let us know what you think. Let's keep growing the pod into week 10. Ted and Yogi's Pactual Adventure, along with Michael Molinari. We're out. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.